Good afternoon, everyone. I am so happy to be here. Um, like Josh said, my name is Asha. I'm the family pastor here, which means that I just have the best job because I get to see what God is up to in the lives of some of the youngest members of our community and their families, um, and it just astounds me every day. Um, I also have a family. I'm going to see if this little clicker works here. Let me try again. Thank you, Hopewell. Um, that's them right there. This was us last summer. Uh, if you don't know them, they are wonderful. You should get to know them. Um, and I actually just came back from a trip to London with my oldest daughter. Um, we started a tradition um, a few years ago when we actually didn't think that this day would ever come. We're like, yeah, when you turn 13, we'll take you on this big trip. And that was like when she was six. And we're like, that'll never happen, right? Uh, but it did. Here it happened. Um, and so we, we asked her, you know, like, where would you like to go? Um, this is just a one-on-one -on -one trip with mom and daughter. Um, and she said London, and so we found really cheap airplane tickets and a lovely little Airbnb, and so we spent the last week there. Um, and it was a wonderful trip. Um, it did involve, go to that next one, it did involve a lot of Harry Potter. Um, so that is me at platform, platform nine and three quarters. We had a great time um, exploring some of the sites in the city. It also involved a lot of um, history and art and time spent in some of like the most beautiful museums in London, um, the British um, Museum, the National Gallery, all of these places. Um, and so something you should know about me is that in addition to working here at ECV, I also am a childbirth educator and lactation counselor. And so I teach classes and sometimes get to work as a doula, a labor support person. And um, I just love all things related to birth and so, um, and breastfeeding. And so my daughter, who knows this about me, um, every time we were at a museum, she would point out to me all of the birth or breastfeeding pictures. And so there's one right there. There are a surprising number of breastfeeding moms in these museums. Um, there's another one there, I think, too. You can go to the next slide. Um, I think I don't think she's embarrassed. And these are like the modest ones, too. One of the things my daughter said, we were walking through the gallery, and she's like, why are there so many naked pictures? Like, there are so, so much nakedness in this museum. And I'm like, I know it's startling, but it's okay. Um, but I really, I was blessed by this because she wanted me to make sure I saw all of these. And it just brought me a lot of joy. Um, it delighted me. I was surprised. We also, as we were walking around, we saw this little sculpture um, of St. Margaret, and that is special to me because Margaret is actually the middle name of my second daughter, Isla. And I don't know if you can read the caption, but it says, according to legend, St. Margaret was um, swallowed by Satan in the form of a dragon. Um, but then she is shown here in prayer, bursting free from the dragon, and she went on to become the patron saint of midwives and women in labor, which I didn't even know. So that was a very cool surprise and sort of intense. I showed this to my daughter, and she's like, wait, what is the dragon? I'm like, that's Satan. But look, you're, it's, you, Margaret's coming free. Um, don't worry, it'll be okay. So I kept being astonished by these legends and these stories of saints. We saw these two paintings next to each other. This one here um, is uh, painted right around 1500. Uh, it's of Saints Genevieve 
uh, and Apollonia, and Genevieve is the one holding the candle, and that is because it was like miraculously relit after the devil blew it out. And um, Apollonia, the one on the right there, you can't really see, but in her hand, she's holding pinchers, um, and that's because her those those pinchers were used to pull her teeth out while she was being tortured for her faith, and so she's just holding them there, super chill about it now. Um, the next one is actually so. <laughs> In the next one, um, there is St. Otilia. She's the one on the right who's the nun. And on the little pillow she's holding are a pair of eyeballs. <laughs> Can you see that? These were not her own eyeballs that had been plucked out. I know what you're thinking after the teeth story. But the, she was miraculously cured of blindness. That's what those, those um, <laughs> eyeballs symbolize. St. Christina on the left is standing on a millstone, which apparently she had been like tied to and then thrown into a river as her like form of torture and also miraculously survived um, and went on to other great feats of fate. So what? I mean, this is crazy, right? These lives. And I was, as we were walking through the gallery, there were just so many of these. Um, and I was becoming more and more astonished. One, because, and a little bit embarrassed, because I had never heard of most of these, really, of these women. Um, and also, I was just astonished because of some of these amazing acts, um, whether historical or whether kind of legend, um, these acts of faith and suffering and bravery. Finally, um, I saw this guy, uh, who at least I had heard of before, St. Peter. And so his story I knew roughly. Um, a fisherman who had been called by Jesus as one of the very first disciples, uh, one of the inner circle around Jesus. Notorious, um, I think, for like acting first and thinking second. Um, also for, known for his bold faith and for his bold failures um, someone who would go on to be a leader in the early church and in the church. Um, he was instrumental in, in helping the earliest followers of Jesus understand that um, the good news, the gospel of Jesus, wasn't just for Jewish folk, but for the Gentiles, for other people as well. Um, he would, this fisherman would preach sermons. He would go on to preach sermons at Pentecost where thousands of people would give their lives to God, he would heal people, he would be arrested, he would be miraculously rescued out of jail, <laughs> um, and he's someone who would ultimately suffer and die uh, for his faith in Jesus, being as tradition holds, crucified upside down in Rome. What lives, what fearless lives. I can go to the next slide. For the past couple Sundays, we have been spending time learning about, thinking about, and hopefully being transformed by this notion that love, the love of God, is greater than fear. And more specifically even by this verse, um, that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out fear. And we have been looking at examples of this in the lives of Adam and Eve in the garden, um, in the life of Esther, last week, Josh walked us through like that whole book of the Bible. It was amazing. And we've been challenged. I hope you guys have been asking these questions too. Of, like, in what areas of our lives do we experience fear? What are sort of the sources of fear in our lives? Where do we make decisions in fear? Where do we act in fear? 
Might we be called to act courageously and in love for people as Esther was for such a time as this? Where are we tempted to hide from God in fear like Adam and Eve? These questions have really been sort of um, sitting with me for the last couple of weeks. And today, we'll actually be looking at a scene from the life of Peter, from that same martyr and leader of the church. Um, but at a scene in the beginning of Peter's call, kind of the very beginning Um, A scene that would, I think, in some ways be a defining moment for Peter. A time when this perfect love announced itself in his life. And that perfect love would go on to propel (laughs) Peter into a life that was marked by faith rather than by fear. Oh man, it is my prayer for us, for me... (laughs) that we would so be a people um, marked by that same perfect love and thrust into a world um, where we can be full of faith rather than fear. That's something that I long for for myself and for us as a community, and I think it's something that God wants for us even today. Um, So before we dive into the scripture, why don't we um, pray together? Lord, you are just better than our best thought of you. You are so good. And so, God, we um, just ask for you to be with us today in all the ways that you are good and generous and loving. I pray that you would let us see rightly today and that you would free us from fears and send us out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. If you have a Bible, you can open there. If you've got your phone, you can look at it. And we'll also get the scripture up here on um, the slides. So this is what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is Peter, Simon Peter, same guy. um, And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And I imagine he was sort of like, pause. And Jesus was like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And then he's like, ah, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. 
Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, just to give the background, Jesus has emerged on the scene with his baptism by John the Baptist. Um, Then he was led into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. Then he begins traveling around the region of Galilee, kind of going from synagogue to synagogue. And that goes pretty well. He, like, um, frees people from evil spirits. Um, it, It goes mostly well, except for in his hometown of Nazareth, where they try to kill him. But beyond that, it's mostly a good, like, preaching tour. Um, But he does spend time in Capernaum, and here he has helped people who were, again, tormented by evil spirits, and so news about him has spread around. The first we hear about Simon Peter is actually sort of indirectly, because Luke records that Jesus goes to Simon Peter's home and heals his mother-in-law. In fact, once word got out about that healing, more and more people were brought to Jesus for healing. And it seems like it got a little difficult for Jesus to teach all of these large crowds of people because they would kind of press in on him. It's a little bit like the kids' church downstairs where they all like press in on you. And I'm like, where's my boat? I need a boat. So that is where we find ourselves on this day while Jesus is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He decides to get into a fishing boat, right, so he can see all the people. They aren't getting too close. Uh, He can make use of some good acoustics probably across the water. And he gets into Simon's boat, Simon Peter. Now, Peter knows Jesus at this point, at least a little bit. He's heard his teaching. He was probably there or at least has heard about the fact that his mother-in-law was healed. Um, So he may even have been witness to this miracle. But he's not yet really kind of decided to throw it all in with Jesus. Like he hasn't made that, that sort of commitment yet. He's kind of on the fringe with Jesus. He's maybe a little just like neutral, maybe positive neutral about Jesus, but still hasn't really committed. Um, Maybe nothing much has changed in his day-to-day life. He's just spent the night fishing. It's what he does. It's what he knows. Um, But he's had a bad night. He's had a fruitless night. And then Jesus asks to use his boat. And I don't know if anyone else was like this when we just read this. When I came to this as I was preparing for the sermon, I don't know if I'd had a really long day and I was really tired. But part of me was like, man, Jesus, the guy is so tired. Like, just let him go home. You don't need his boat. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was in like a sleeper sleep-deprived state. Um, but of course, it was a blessing to Peter. So then while Jesus, when Jesus is done teaching, he tells Peter to put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And we can imagine, right, what Peter is thinking here. Seriously? <laughs> we experienced fishermen have just been out all night on the water, um, haven't caught anything, More than that, it's morning now. The sun is up. The fish aren't going to be out. Um, He even really says as much to Peter, but still. And I don't know what prompts Peter here. Maybe Peter doesn't feel like he can say no. Like maybe he feels a little obligated (laughs) to Jesus. You did heal heal my mother-in-law. Okay, I'll do what you say. Um, Maybe it is the first inklings of faith. It could be that. Um, Let's just see what happens. That could be cool. 
I'm inclined to think perhaps because of the word Peter uses there, he says master, that's used only by the disciples in the Gospel of Luke and by a group of lepers, and it has like this connotation of real authority with it. So maybe Peter recognizes that Jesus has some authority and he is just submitting to that authority out of deference. And maybe it's curiosity, right? Like, I wonder. I wonder what might happen. Um, Curiosity is a good thing (laughs) in this case, right? Being intrigued by what Jesus might do is often like a first step of faith and relationship with Jesus. And over and over, we see that Jesus, he's kind of into that. (laughs) He really likes and meets us in our curiosity and, and being intrigued by him. So whatever might be at work in Peter at this point, whether it's a sense of obligation or deference, submission to authority, a curiosity, an inkling of faith, Peter responds to Jesus and he heads out into those deep waters again. And I just want to pause here because I think that for some of us, I want us to rest on this word, on the deep waters, for a second. Um, Because I have a feeling that there's probably some of us in this room that even to right here can relate to what those deep waters are, how they feel in our lives, too. Um, Maybe you can relate to Peter here at this point. You have been exhausted. You have been defeated. You have been discouraged. You have worked and worked, and you have come up empty. You've come back with nothing. That, that area, that was fruitless. That's pointless. I don't, I'm not going back there. And Jesus calls you back there, right? So you have to wonder if Peter already has this sense of defeat. We have, we've tried this. I know what's going to happen. And so I just, for those who can relate to that, Like, hang on with Jesus right now. (laughs) Because the promise here is that Jesus is like, I'm going out with you into those deep waters. Let us both go out into those waters together. And of course, this time with Peter, it is different. They haul in such a catch that those nets start breaking. Those boats start sinking. And it's at this point that something dramatic happens in Peter. Something has been revealed to him. This is one of those moments that some folks call like a theophany. Like God has just, the curtain has been pulled back and something about God has shown up. And Peter, in response to that, falls on his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And this sounds a lot like another encounter that someone had in a moment of revelation like this. If you've ever read through the book of Isaiah, it's a, um, a book in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah has a vision. It says he saw the Lord, and he saw God, and he recognized his holiness, and he cried out, woe is me, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. Go away from me. You don't want to be near. We cannot be together in the same place, right? You and I, we don't, we don't exist together. This can't be for me. You have the wrong person. You don't know who I am. 
And don't mistake me, Peter does get something very right here. He gets something very right. That authority that he suspected Jesus has, yes. Yes, that's right. The holiness of this teacher, yes and amen. He does begin to see Jesus rightly. And in doing so, and this happens to us, right? When we see God, when we have this revelation of God, that doesn't happen apart from also then seeing ourselves rightly. When we begin to see God rightly, we begin to see ourselves rightly too. Peter begins to see himself as well. And this isn't like a, oh man, I'm just so down on myself kind of moment. I'm like, I really suck. This is not what that is. This is not like a low self-esteem moment for Peter or anything. He sees himself rightly in relation to God the creator. He sees his creatureliness, right? His finiteness. And in that, he probably sees his brokenness, too, and his weakness, his sinfulness. And he might rightly be mourning the reality of sin that has been present in his life, that has woven itself through his life in the ways that it weaves itself through our lives. He might be saying, no, 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 this is not for me. And that's actually just a kind of humility. He's brought to his knees in awe and humility. And may we all have experiences where we are brought to our knees in awe and humility, where we see God rightly and then we see ourselves rightly. But while he gets that right, he also gets something very wrong. And Jesus sees it and he calls it out. Because we may not have known what exactly was at work in Peter here right now, but Jesus did. Because he's the one who said, do not be afraid. Two weeks ago, Matt talked a great deal about this, the first consequence of sin upon the recognition of sin. What it produces first is fear. We run and we hide. Adam was afraid and he hid himself from the Lord who was walking through the garden. Peter is afraid and he says, you must not be near me. Peter has yet to understand, just like Adam and Eve didn't understand, that that perfect love, it knows us truly. That being beloved means being known as we are. Peter is encountering the perfect love of God Jesus, of course, is aware of who Peter is in his entirety, in his creatureliness, in his brokenness and weakness, in the ways that sin has been present in his life. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. And this is a refrain that you'll hear over and over through the Gospels, particularly in Luke, when people encounter angels. or Jesus says, do not be afraid. See my love here. Experience it. And it's my conviction that this moment for Peter, where this love of God was revealed to him, it changed Peter. Peter's life was not going to be the same from this moment forward. And so what I want us to know, I want to know what is this love, what is this perfect love like that can so cast away those fears and can propel us into this life of faith over fear. So, like I said, this love, I'm just going to pick out a few things. This love is knowing. This love knows. We don't hide from this love. We are known by this love. 
And knowing, known in a particular way, and we're going to see that in just a second too, known in our particular way too. This love is generous. This love is so, so generous. When I first read this, again, I, I don't know if I'd had a long day, but I was just like, man, Lord, can I let Peter go home and sleep. You know, it's been such a long night. He's so tired. Give this guy a break. And then, of course, he gave him a wonderful break, right? A generous gift. And my guess that this gift, all those, that wonderful catch, was about Jesus revealing himself to Peter and to the others. It was a miracle after all. But I think it was also just about being generous. So many fish. Can you imagine how many fish that were? These fishing boats were like 20 to 30 feet long. And they were filled so full that both of them were starting to sink. This is a lot of slippery, stinky, flapping around fish, right? It's a lot of fish. So many fish. Generosity in fish. Okay, this is where God is meeting Peter, in fish. This was Peter's livelihood. It's what he knew. It was how he was eking out his living in tenuous times. Can you imagine how Peter knew all those fish just so well? Well, that one's a red flapper. I don't know what that, that's not real fish. Um, that one's a, you know, a rainbow trout. I don't know if they have rainbow trout there. Anyhow, I don't know what lives in the Sea of Galilee, but he knew all those fish, Right? And can you imagine that on nights like he had just had where you don't catch anything, how you're just desperate for the sign of one fish? How you just really, can't, can't there just be one fish in there, Lord? Just like some movement in the water or something, but nothing. He probably dreamed of fish. <laughs> he probably smelled like fish, right? If you have ever fished, you know that that smell lasts on you for a long time. And he was a professional fisherman. I imagine tears of joy and surprise on these rough fishermen faces. <laughs> We've never seen this many fish in our lives. The generosity of God in fish. <laughs> Can you imagine? What might the generosity of God look like in your life? How has it shown up? Has it shown up in fish for you? <laughs> Not for me yet. I don't know. Fish don't matter that much to me. How has it shown up in your life, the generosity of God? What form might it take? And when it does, we give thanks and we are in awe. This love is knowing and it's generous. And it's also intimate. Jesus, um, you know, he could have done a lot of things to reveal himself to Peter and to the others. He'd already done, like, some miracles, you know. He'd healed, he'd cast out demons. But now he enters in to a world, right? Jesus enters Peter's world, and I think this is what I really want us to think about because this generous, knowing, abundant love isn't just to be experienced at church. It isn't just to be experienced in, like, the happy places of our lives, or the spiritual places of our lives. Um, I think that God wants to be generous and be with us in like the, the dearest places of our lives and also the places that feel mm, the most like, what would Jesus be doing there? Like, why would Jesus show up there? 
Like the far, like, like there's no connection. I don't see the connection. Jesus, tons and tons of fish. Nope, don't see it. So what are the closest places to us? And what are those places that feel farthest from Jesus? I mean, it could be any number of things that just seem like, what, what would Jesus be doing there? Relationships with my coworkers, um, your mortgage. Like, what if Jesus just, like, shows up in your mortgage papers? What if, I don't know, like, what if it's your vocation, your retirement plans? What if it's that board meeting? What if it's your sex life? What if it's your discussion section? What if it's your budget? Like, all your relationship with your mom, right? Like, that is where Jesus is going to be. Whew. Places where you have... A, it's real. It's getting real in here. Whew. Places where you have a hard time even, like, imagining Jesus existing. What would it be like for him to enter that world, that space? Can you imagine that Peter might have felt similarly when this Jesus that he'd heard about, that he'd seen, who'd healed his mother-in-law, entered into the place that was the Peterist place of his life? It was the Peterist place, right? It was his That was his place. It's this kind of love that says to us, do not be afraid. That's what this love is like. That's what's revealed in Jesus. That is the love that has the power to overcome fear. Fears, whatever they might be, driven by guilt, shame, inadequacy, failure, what other people think, all of that, to really free us. And then, not just to free us, but then to thrust us into his mission. Do we hear what what he says? Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And Peter was propelled here into a life of abandon for Jesus. Not always getting it right. And I am so grateful for the life of Peter that we read about when he is stumbling and tumbling, but he is stumbling and tumbling Jesus' word. Right? The love that overcomes Peter's fear is a love that's not only generous and knowing and intimate, but it's a love that moves him into purpose. It's a love that speaks to a calling on Peter's life. And so we shouldn't be surprised as we encounter fears or encounter Jesus in these places of our lives that this love not only frees us from fears, right, but it's freeing us to love others. In fact, I might be suspicious of anything that wouldn't free us to love others. It frees us to a life lived together with God. Um, Peter is moved. He moves. You will be a fisher of people. You know those gifts I've planted in you? (laughs) Jesus is so tricky, right? Like, oh, you're a fisherman. You know how to set it all right. You know where to go. Maybe he's got a mind of strategy, right? Kind of gets along with the other fisherman buddies. You're going to fish for people. I see the gifts in you. I'm going to use you in this world. This love moves us into purpose. It sees and it sets free and it calls forward, not in anxiety, not in like, what am I going to get done? What am I going to accomplish? Who am I going to be in this world? But in full assurance of the generosity and intimacy and knowingness of love. And what does it cause in them? Well, I mean, we see their response, right? 
Fear is cast aside, wholehearted surrender. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And you guys, I just think that there might be some boats we need to leave on shore today. You know? I just think that sometimes we're in a boat and we just got to leave it there. Got to leave it there and move on. Um, I know that for me and some of my um, times of deepest knowing and of deepest intimacy of being seen and known by Jesus in those tender areas of my life, he's also like calling me both to leave something behind and to move towards something else. One of these times, um, I was in college, and I went to, I was going to the Urbana Student Missions Conference, and some of you might have heard of this. Um, this was way back in the day, um, and we were in the middle of worshiping, um, really one of those times where I hope we were like seeing God rightly in awe and in humility, and, and I had this picture of this hand, it was God's hand in my mind, I could clearly see this hand of God. And it was reaching towards me to heal. And I instantly knew what God was wanting to heal. And I could see myself also in that picture. I had an arrow piercing my chest. In my mind's eye, I could see it. And as this hand came closer to heal, I turned away in fear. I was sure that this image that I was seeing was about a difficult and painful relationship in my life. A relationship that while it had caused me such pain, it was so close, was so mine, was the Asha-ist place you could be. The pain was so lingering and deep, the wound had wound itself into my identity. And I... I wasn't sure. No, I was, I was pretty certain I did not want God going anywhere near that. What would I be without this? What would healing mean for me? What further pain and disappointment would I have to endure? Do you know that sometimes the hallmarks of our identity are, are like wrongly wrapped in our wounds too, you know? And we hold on to our wounds sometimes. But there's actually healing and like freedom. But that's where this generous, knowing, intimate love of God was headed. He was headed there. And those were the deep waters he was sending me out into. I had been out there before and I did not want to go back. And so I don't know what it was for me then, if it was the curiosity like Peter had Um, that that prompted him to turn that boat back around into the deep, or maybe it was trained obedience at that point. Maybe it was a glimmer of faith, but I ended up turning, moving, saying, yes, God, what will it mean for you to touch this place right here? And it involved a lot of prayer and small groups and counseling and mentors and on and on. Um, And it involved actually being sent, too. Remember, I was at a missions conference. (laughs) So I, I was simultaneously receiving and experiencing this love of God and being sent to minister to others. 
I wasn't done, am not done, um, but Peter was not done, and yet he receives this beautiful call that changes his life. That was a key moment in Peter's life. Do you love that line, from now on, love would fuel his mission? That perfect love marked by all that generosity and knowing and intimacy, that would be the hallmark by which he would recognize also like the work of God in his life. I love, and he would minister in that spirit later, right? He'd be like, I know that. And there's this great story at the end of the Gospel of John. I don't know, like, if John just decided to put it there at the end or what, but it's so similar to this one. But it's after the resurrection. So it's not at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry. And the disciples, they're just like, oh, my gosh, what just happened to us? I guess we better go back to fishing. Like, we don't know. And so they're back fishing, and they're out in their boats, and a guy shows up on the shore. And they don't know who it is. And he's like, hey, fellas caught anything? And they're like, no. They still don't know who he is. He's like, hey, why don't you try throwing your nets out on that side of the boat? Still don't know who he is. Okay. Pull it in. Fish. There's that generosity of fish again showing up. And they're like, dude, it's Jesus. Like they instantly are like, that's the guy. That's what he does. He is generous in fish fish and so much more that's right that's who we follow and and Peter of course being Peter like jumps out of the boat and like starts flailing off to shore he knows now that's right I remember you're so generous that's right and so then when he preaches at Pentecost and when he, he can't help but talking about what he's seen and heard What is he remembering? He is remembering this love of God, this perfect love that is knowing and that is generous and that is intimate. And that is good news. That is so good news. I want us to be people who recognize that love as like the hallmark of God's love. That see that and go, wait a minute. This reminds me of those fish. So I want us to reflect. I can move to some of these reflection questions and practices. The first one is really just what part of your life feels farthest from Jesus or least connected to him. Um, He may be asking to get in that boat, right? Like that is the boat that he wants to be in. What is the most, remember, the Peterist part of who you are or the part that you just like, I can't even imagine what that could look like. I am certain he wants, he wants in that boat. He wants to be with you there. Um, and he wants to take you out into those deep waters. You might be like, no, no, like these waters over here look really good. We could stay over here. And I have a feeling he's going to want to be in those deep waters with you. But with you, right? And then we can pray for that curiosity and that obedience and those glimmers of faith. I'm just so curious, God, what would it look like? I'm taking a class at Gateway Community College right now. Lord, what would it look like if you showed up at Gateway with me in my classroom? I am old enough to be every single person's mother in that room. What would it look like for you to show up and for me to be a minute, to see Jesus there? I can't wait. I am so curious to see what that looks like. Um, The second one is just to practice the examine. So Josh mentioned that, but 
Like these little cards, they're like gold. They will change your life. Can you please pick one up? I don't know about you, but they have been kicking my butt during this whole series, and I have loved them. Um, I was telling Josh and Patrick the other day that this little practice of just recognizing when I am experiencing fear um, it is, is revolutionary for me. Um, and I'm finding, as I'm doing this more, I'm also starting to recognize the effects that fear has on my life um, that I didn't know before. And one of those, for me, in this season of life is that when I feel afraid, I, I get quiet. It's like fear takes my words away. And I'm a quiet person already by nature, so don't get me wrong if I'm quiet. It's not because I'm scared, but it might be. I don't know. You should ask. Um, but when I realize that when I'm able to, like, recognize those fears and ask for that perfect love of God, um, the fear, and, and then I have words, and I can say what I'm afraid of. And then it's like the, the fears just go, like, limp. They just, like, turn into wet noodles. They're totally flaccid. Like, it's just nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, fears, you don't look so bad anymore. I said what I'm afraid of, Right. This happened to me the other day with one of my daughters. She was, like, wanting to do something. And I'm, like, when I, when I don't, like, fe- recognize the fear, I, I don't know about you, but I go into, like, defensive reactionary mode. And I'm, like, no, you will not do that. And, brah, like, I just cut it off. Put up the walls. Get really strong. Like, all of the things happen. And it cuts me off from relationship just like that. And um, instead, I was, like, oh, I'm feeling so scared. I am facing my fears right now, <laughs> right? And so then I'm going, oh, man, you know what? This, I'm just, to my daughter, I go, this is just what I'm afraid of. I love you a lot, and, and in this situation, this is what I'm scared of. So can we work together to figure out, like, a good plan for this? She was like, okay, you know? <laughs> Whatever, Mom. Like, why? Why? <sighs> like, you don't see inside me what is happening. Um, so use it, revolutionary. Um, the next thing is just where is God sending you to minister peace? And th- I just love this, this idea that we are sent to like catch people up in the love of God. Doesn't that sound good where you're just like, there's the love of God, I'm going to catch you up in it, right? I'm going to catch you up in the love of God. Um, and I know I'm being sent out like to my daughters to, and my family to catch them up in the love and the story and the goodness of God um, and, to, and for them to grow a faith of their own full of love and not fear. But that's not all, right? Like I know that in my class at Gateway, I'm being sent to catch people up in the love of God. When I'm like teaching classes to expectant parents or leading a postpartum support group or or serving with a kid's night in with all the kiddos. Like, that's where I'm also a minister of peace and where I want to catch people up in the love of God. Um, that's, that's that love that I've encountered, that I want to keep encountering, that love that Peter encountered on a boat one day in the Sea of Galilee. And so in what context uh, in your life could you minister peace? That's good news, Right? I am coming into a season, I think, again, of just realizing, like, what good news it is that we hold. This is good news. This, like Matt said on the first week, like, we live in a world and in a city and in communities that are full of fear, that are full of anxiety. And you guys, this is good news that we hold. I want to catch people up in this love that frees people, that frees people from that fear. That is good. And what if we all did that? And then, well, we'd have to get a new building because there'd be so many of us caught up in the love of God, right? 
Um, but may it be that we also like are sent out um, to catch folks up in the love of God. Um, I'll invite the worship team back up now as we kind of transition into communion. This is good news to share with others. Um, there is a kind of perfect love. There is the perfect love in Jesus that frees us from fear and moves us into faith. And we're going to get a chance to, um, to celebrate communion here. And one of the things that I want us to do with communion today, um, in communion, we remember. We remember you, Jesus. And we remember his sacrifice. We remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And we celebrate that. We really do celebrate that. And I think today, as we take communion, we also have a chance to receive this perfect love, right? That generous, knowing, intimate love into all those places in our beings. This food will literally come and it will go to every cell in our bodies, right? The nutrients from it, it becomes part of it. We take it into our bodies. And that's what we have the chance to do, to take in that life of Jesus, that love of Jesus right now. And then I think even as we take this bread in and this wine in, we have the chance to say, yes, Lord, send me out too, I want to be part of that mission. I want to be part of what you're doing in this world. And so whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're someone for whom there is just that curiosity, I am intrigued, Lord. What would it mean um, to follow you, to, to leave my boats and my nets right now um, and to step out with you? Um, then I invite you to come and to, to, to rip off a piece of the bread and to dip it into the cup um, and start on that journey with Jesus. And as we do that, um, let me just pray for us. God, thank you. Lord, uh, would you bring to us by your Spirit just a revelation of your perfect love. Let us encounter you like Peter encountered you in that boat. Maybe you will bring us to our knees. Maybe you will come into the closest parts of our lives. Show us where you are so generous. Give us all the fish, Lord, so many fish. I just pray for whatever those fish are over all of the folks gathered in this room. Would we see your generosity, God, and give you thanks for it and step out in faith with you. And Lord, um, where there are boats that need to be left by the shore, God, would you show us what those are now and give us faith to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion servers, you can come on up too.